Right, bless the Lord. Trust you've enjoyed your lunch. We overstayed our uh, visit a little bit, but um, we understand we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. <laughs> so uh, let's commence and let's work our way forward. And um, let's begin to look at this lesson known as um, delegated authority. It's very important for us to understand delegated authority. By the very intention of the, of the structure of the sentence, it means that you have authority that has been delegated to you, which means someone has to delegate the authority. Okay? And um, <clears throat> as we begin to learn more about spiritual protocol, about functioning under another's authority, we find that our ministries are strengthened. This is something very important you will learn, and I know you already know this, but we have to accentuate this as we talk about it. There's strength, spiritual dynamic in your ministry as you submit to another and yet walk in the strength of your own authority which you've received in Christ. Okay. Um, prophetic words will become stronger if you operate in the prophetic dimension. If you walk in submission, your prophecy becomes stronger more accurate, sharper, more pertinent, because the stream of the life of God is flowing in a correct order. All right? Teachings will become more anointed, clearer. People will get better understandings, and ministries will mature as this is brought into place in the church. So where ministry is operating in the correct order of submission and authority, there's a stronger flow of God. That's in that dimension. We find that the degree of submission will measure out the degree of authority. That's very important. To the extent that I'm willing to submit to those that have authority over me, to that extent I have authority. Okay. Luke 7, verse 2 to 10. Um, let's just go there quickly. <coughs> Luke chapter 7. My glasses. I mentioned this incident in the previous um, um, session, but let me just read it so that you can get a clear understanding again. And a certain centurion slave who was centurion's slave who had high who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die and when he heard about Jesus he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave and when they had come to Jesus they earnestly entreated him saying he is worthy of you to grant this to him for he loves our nation and it was he who built us our synagogue now Jesus started on his way with them and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy of you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to the one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, 
and turned and said to the multitude that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Amen? Do you see his humility and his simplicity? He doesn't approach the Lord himself because in his culture, perhaps also because, remember, he's in the military and Jesus is the commander-in-chief. In his rank, he's only a centurion over a hundred. You don't talk to the commander-in-chief. You see, I have a background in the Navy. I was a chaplain in the Navy and I understand something about rank. You don't just walk up to a commander-in-chief and talk to him. Not unless he invites you to his office to talk. So this man says, according to my rank, I can't go to Jesus. But I'll talk to the elders because I discern in the economy of God, the elders carry authority. So I'm going to go to them and ask them to represent me to him. Okay? And he will t- they will talk to him on my behalf. And they did. They said, Lord, this guy is worthy of your attention. I tell you what, he's the guy who financed the building of our synagogue. So the man is generous. And now the Lord began walking towards his house. But he sent servants stopping him on the way. He says, excuse me, sir. I didn't mean that you had to come to my house. All I wanted you to do is speak the word. The servants who stopped Jesus, when they got home, the servant, the slave was healed. Because Jesus spoke the word. It says, be healed. Amen? Bless the name of the Lord. So it's very vital we see the whole story. Thank you. And that we understand what the Lord is after. Thank you. He was a man of great faith, also a man of authority. The kingdom of God functions on the principles of submission and authority. All right? Understand it's a kingdom, just like any other sovereign territory. When you go to the kingdom of Swaziland, King Swati is in charge. He has many young maidens doing the re-dance for him on an annual basis, and he will select one to be the new princess. And he's driving not just a Mercedes. He's driving the mother of all Mercedes. What is it called? Starts with the the Mayberg. (laughs) Not just any Berg. The Mayberg is what he's driving. Lord, it's convertible. It's it's exquisite. It's several million. Okay? The country's bankrupt, but he's doing okay. All right? So when you go there, you're in another man's territory. Amen? It's a sovereign kingdom, and it has its own laws and bylaws and constitution. In the kingdom of God, there's a constitution. Can somebody tell me where the constitution of the kingdom is found? Give me a little bit more specific. I'll give you a tip. It's in the New Testament. Yeah. I'll give you another tip. It's in the Gospel. At this rate, you're going <laughs> to 
break the bank if I have to tip you all the way. Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 is the constitution of the kingdom. In that you find the beatitudes, you find all the directives, the instructions, how to live in the kingdom. Okay? So if you want to be a good kingdom citizen, study the constitution of your kingdom. Thou shalt not, thou shalt. All the instructions on how to live in the kingdom is there. Okay? So you have to understand the kingdom of God functions on principles, and one of those principles is the concept of submission and authority. They run parallel. They are the two tracks on which the train moves forward. You need both. He obeyed the authorities of the earth? Yes, he even paid tax. You must remember these elders are his elders. You could say that, or you could say that he received some directive from them. But remember, these elders are elders in the economy of Israel, which means they are his elders. He's their Lord. All right. So this man understood that, and he knew that the authority of the word of Jesus, he didn't doubt that authority, that faith was turned into a faith for the healing of his servant. Amen? The Lord desires that we be the centurions of this age, people that understand divine order, patterns, principles, how they work. Have you realized that if you don't understand of the existence of a principle, it does not make the principle redundant? Principles work whether you understand them or not. Okay? There are laws that govern. All right? And ignorance is not an excuse. I can, for example, go into the U.S. and drive on the left-hand side of the road. And when the traffic officer stopped me, I can say, excuse me, I'm a South African. We drive on the left-hand side of the road back home. He says, I'm sorry, sir, you have entered into a sovereign kingdom. Here, we drive on the right-hand side of the road, and unless you want us to scrape you from the road, you will have to go on that side of the road, you know, because you're going to be pulverized, you know. Somebody's going to run over you. So, being ignorant of the law is not an excuse or of the principle. I think you agree with that. Learning how to function under authority is vital if we are to be given authority. It is vital even if we never come into the place of leadership. In other words, don't submit to authority with an agenda. To say, I'm going to submit to leader because I hope that they're going to promote me to leadership. When you have a hidden agenda, at some point it's going to come out in your, in your communications. Submit, to, submit uh, to authority because it's right in God. Because it's the pattern of the kingdom. Amen? 
And in the process, the Lord will honor that. If we cannot function under authority, we cannot function in the kingdom of God. It means that we will make ourselves redundant, dysfunctional. You will always be a misfit in the things of God if you cannot operate under authority. Let me bring this into your understanding. Even the Trinity submits one to another. The triune God honors one another. Love one another from a pure heart. Promote one another. Speak of each other with such tremendous passion and love and honor. They are not in competition with each other. Isn't that incredible to observe in our God? If we cannot submit to men whom we can see, how can we submit to God whom we cannot see? Isn't that what people normally say? I submit to God. Only God can talk to me. Well, I could do some funny things sometimes to test people. I would sell to one of the deacons in the church, go tell Brother John I want him to move his car from that parking bay. I've reserved it for someone. So they go over. We need you to move your car. We need that space for someone. What do you mean? I was here first. That's my bay. So yeah, Apostle's asking you to move your car. You need that space. Now I'm standing from a distance. I'm watching this whole thing because I want to see how it plays out. I don't need the parking bay. I'm testing his attitude. After a while, I may actually approach and say, is that a problem? The response normally is, no, no, I'm going to move my car now. I say, we don't need it anymore. I've already seen what I wanted to see. You see, Jesus continuously tested his followers, testing their attitudes. If you're going to be a good leader of leaders, you must find ways to test the motivations of the hearts of those who claim to follow you. A right understanding of authority is crucial if we are going to function in the kingdom of God. Will you agree with me? You've got to have a good grip on how the kingdom operates. Romans 13.1, we talked about this earlier. It says, every soul must be in subjection to higher powers and authorities. So we must understand that the kingdom of God and delegated authorities are inseparable. You see, a person that have authority, according to Romans 13, got the authority from God. And so that person represents God. Whether it's a traffic officer a police officer, a tax officer, dear God, somebody that has some position of function in civil society or in the church or in government or in politics. They may not be worthy of the position according to our expectations and standard, but they have the position. And it's the office 
that is sanctified, not necessarily the individual. So our respect is for the office, even though the officer inside the office may be unworthy. You must respect the office. When you touch delegated authority, you have touched God. Because that individual has come to you to represent God in that matter. You know? And unless you understand it, you'll have problems. Because the Bible says that if you walk righteously, you have no problem with authority. You know, I'm not a, at all afraid of the South African police. Because I've done nothing to provoke them and let them pursue me. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I've committed no crime. I don't have to look over my shoulder when I leave home to see if somebody's following me. You know? But if I commit a crime, watch me. I'll have to check, you know, get some good, powerful binoculars to see if the coast is clear before I can leave home because I have a bad conscience. You know the exa example of Saul? On. Don't let me down. Oh, oh, oh. I can uh, use some gap fillers here. What's happening? Put him in the place of authority. God, okay. The people asked for a king. But God consented. Okay? He gave them a tall, dark, and handsome guy. All right? He was the tallest. He's probably athletic. Probably beautiful to look upon. Okay? And um, he was their king. So the people didn't make him king. Do you agree? The Lord set him in the place as the king of Israel. In other words, Saul was representing God to the people. He was their king. As wicked as he was, the people did not oust him from his office, and several times it was recorded that David had opportunity to kill him. I said, right. But he would not touch the Lord's anointed. David had a tremendous revelation of authority in the kingdom of God. A tremendous understanding of how to submit to the one that whom God has anointed. And he had opportunity. At one point, he only cut a piece of the tunic of Saul as proof. You see this piece of your garment? I could have killed you last night. But I didn't. Because I will not do that. I will not touch God's anointed. Do you know that both David and Saul was anointed king over Israel at the same time? Israel had two kings. The one was living in a cave and the other one in the palace. David waited for God to remove Saul before he could take his role. Even though Saul himself had committed evil because of, of the office as a king, he could not be touched. The people waited for the Lord to remove him. I wanted to learn something in the process. When a spiritual leader becomes dysfunctional, it's not your job to get them out of ministry. 
You can't even touch them. The same God who put them there is the same God that has the responsibility of removing them. And you still have to follow them and submit to them even though they are dysfunctional. I'm not saying you have to do sinful things. But in the economy of God, they are still the leader. It's the responsibility of God to remove them, and God does not need our help. So it was not the person Saul who commanded the respect. It was the office, the position of authority delegated by God. And so that had to be honored. That had to be respected. Amen? And the people understood that as citizens of the kingdom. Our king has become dysfunctional. He no longer represents God. He has begun to inquire of witches. He's begun to follow witchcraft. He has begun to live in a sinful life. But the God that anointed him is the God that must take him out. The same Samuel that anointed him is the same Samuel that fired him. Okay? You need to understand that. And it was at the initiative of God, not the initiative of Samuel. In fact, when the Lord told him to remove Saul, he cried all night. He grieved all night. He could not bring himself to take Saul off the throne. But it was his job. You see, it's important that all in authority understand they need a prophet in their life. Because the prophet will come to you to tell you when you are deviating from the path. That's why every president of every country, every economist, every business leader needs a prophet in his or her life that can speak to them when they go wrong. Amen? Even Jesus was not always recognized as an authority in his ministry. Are you aware of that? Many of the people suffered of what I call Nazaritis. Yeah, someone from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Do you know that a large portion of Cape Town suffers of Nazaritis? For some reason, we don't believe anything good can come from ourselves. Only if it's imported, it's good. Isn't it true? Most ministries in Cape Town receive leadership from overseas. Bishops and apostles and everything else overseas. Excuse me. You. I think even God have a problem with that. Anointed. <laughs> I understand where you come from. But you know what people like to use, and I think it's part of our humanity. We are by nature curious as people. And we love what we cannot explain or quantify. And so we bring that mystical element into the meeting, 
it will create faith and enthusiasm and excitement. And oftentimes the people don't deliver. I mean, it's just true. You know, recently there was a conference in Cape Town called Kingdom Impact or something. Kingdom it, Revolution, that's the word. Kingdom Revolution. Okay? But the speakers that were speaking at the conference does not know the elementary things of the kingdom. One of my disciples went up to them after the meeting and asked them if they could teach them about the kingdom. They went after the meeting to a restaurant to eat and they taught them about the kingdom. And they scheduled the meeting for the next morning to continue the lesson. He called me up. He said, I've just had an audience with a guest speaker of a conference and I've been training them in the kingdom. I said, go for it. And they extended it to Sunday. And now he's flying out to the U.S. to extend the lessons, to teach them more. Okay. God allowed it. You see, if it's not an authority, God should have stopped it. But he didn't. Because he's given earth to man as an inheritance. For God to intervene in things, in how earth is run, he has to undermine what he's already done before, which is to give man authority. And God will not undermine his own system of leadership. So God allows that person to get into power fraudulently because the very principle by which they got into power is the principle that will take them out. It will just be a matter of time before they, before they are exposed. Every circumstance have different. Every situation has different circumstances playing out. The question always is, do I have authority to speak? If the answer is no, then we don't speak. We let the Lord vindicate Himself. Because the Lord is supposed to anoint certain individuals to speak in certain ranks of power. So if it's not my jurisdiction, I have no obligation. I have no duty. You know, my conscience is clear in that regard. All right, so Jesus says that a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Does people beat your door down in town for you to speak? Or does it happen when you're somewhere else? In Nazareth, Jesus was known as the Son of God, 
He was not known as the son of God, not even as an anointed prophet. He was just Joseph's boy. Joe's boy. You know, walking, working in the carpenter shop, you know. And I would have loved to buy some of that furniture that he made. Can you imagine the lifespan, the quality, the JC brand? It could do little there because of their unbelief. What? But this is talking about his ministry at the time he was on earth. Okay. The Bible says that he could perform no great miracles in Nazareth. Now, it's the same Jesus that went to Nazareth. Remember the Bible says, he, talking of himself, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So now he has that authority and he goes to Nazareth with all of the authority of heaven backing him. But when he gets to Nazareth, he can do nothing. Because the people will not receive from him. So he take all of the authority, all the dominion, all the power and the backing of heaven with him, and he leaves Nazareth. And the people there are unchanged, unaffected by God, because they didn't like the vessel. Happens all the time. How often is that the case in a local church? The people have known the minister who was raised up by God. The person grew up in the ministry, grew up in Christ, is now raised up as a minister in the house, and the people don't want to receive from them. Because, isn't this Joe's boy? You know, we can't receive from him. Isn't this just Mary that was playing in Sunday school the other day with the long braids. Now she's preaching. What's wrong with her? She says, very exuberant, somebody say. Another one says, well, they're very excited about God. But they can't receive. Some of these men or women can never properly be a pastor or a prophet or a teacher in those churches. They can never properly minister to these people. Because the people will not receive. Is it true? Can I tell you a secret? This is my observation. You can correct me. The most difficult people I've come across in the entire earth where I have labored to minister to are Kyptonians. Highly opinionated. Very arrogant, very self-centered. And of course, if it's not the way they want it, oh yes, all the good things. All right? Here in Cape Town. Do you know that there's been a, a period of my life where I refused to minister in Cape Town? I didn't even accept invitations in Cape Town. I would rather go to the beach than preach in Cape Town. I mean that sincerely because I just became weary in my soul that in every instance you have to first prove your, your ability to people. 
You have to work hard to gain their acceptance and, 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 and accept the fact that you have the ability to administrate the grace of God. I said, I don't have to do that. I've proven my ministry long ago. The father wanted to do things in Nazareth. The people wouldn't let him. He went there to declare the father's mind to them, but they wouldn't receive it. So he had to, you see, Jesus often shook the dust of towns and villages off his shoes and went on to the next place. You've got to learn when to disinvest yourself from people. Because you can't give something to somebody that they don't want. You're wasting your time. But there are people sitting in the earth waiting for you. In your, they, they are written in your DNA. And you have to declare the purposes of God to them. And you need to get God to the, you have to get yourself to the place where God can connect you to those people. But while you're trying to convince someone to receive you, to accept you, to take from what you have, you're wasting all of your time. When, you are, when it's clear, even the disciples, the, the Bible says in the book of Acts, I think chapter 14 around there, Paul invested all of, I think, three months reasoning with the Jews daily concerning the kingdom of God. But when it became abundantly clear to him that they did not want to receive from him, he told them this, I am turning from you today, and I'm going to preach this gospel to the Gentiles. I'm disinvesting myself from you because I'm wasting my time with you. And when he turned from them and began to preach to the Gentiles, God was able to reach multitudes of people, plant number of churches amongst the Gentiles, and the name of the Lord became known amongst idol worshippers. Paul had to disinvest himself because firstly he was not called to the Jews. He didn't have the grace to work with them. He was called to preach to the Gentiles. You've got to understand who you're called to and minister to that people. I'm not convinced that I'm called to Cape Town. I only live here. That's exactly the way I feel. I come home for a holiday. My calling is beyond this place. Mm -hmm. You do what? This is a school. I know it's in Cape Town. I started it here. I'm called for the kingdom. I'm doing something right in the camp of the devil. I do it on purpose. This is insult to injury. On purpose. I'm not doing what I'm doing accidentally.
So would you agree that these people that's raised up in these churches is not necessarily the ministry that's at fault? It's the mindset of the people that don't want to receive from them. Homegrown ministries struggle to be received by the people. The people struggle to receive second-generation leaders. I don't know about you, Pastor Lindsell, if the people readily respond to you or if they're saying this is Dr. Gustav's daughter. When you travel, your ministry is different. The anointing to travel is different than the anointing to stay. Okay? And we need to understand that. If you travel with me in the nations, you won't find me talking like I'm talking to you. You'll find me operate under a complete different anointing, word of wisdom, different things operating the whole time in my ministry because I'm penetrating into a stronghold of the enemy. Okay? And I'm working in a different grace because I have a different grace to go. All right? And uh, I literally have to put the mantle on when I leave home because I understand I'm going under a different mindset. That's true. That's true. I think also it's because we are more sensitive to the Lord in those environments and we are more vulnerable to Him and we draw stronger upon the anointing um, in those environments. There comes a time when you need to forget the beginnings of a ministry and recognize the anointing on it. In other words, forget about the fact that it's Joe's son. Forget about the fact that it's a second generation ministry raising up in the church. Recognize the hand of the Lord upon it and begin to receive from that ministry. You know, for about 10 years in the Western Cape, I've been struggling with un people receiving me for who I am in our apostolic network. They always see me as John Boney's sidekick. I'm supposed to lead a group of apostles in Cape Town who struggled to receive my leadership because I'm John's sidekick. When he's here, they all come together. At one point, they received from me, and I was providing leadership to them. In about five years, I began to disinvest myself. I said, brethren, I can't help you. Because you always look to me through those lenses. When you're ready to receive from me, let me know. Meanwhile, I have a lot of work to do in other parts of the world. Now they invite me to their church and I tell them my schedule's full. And I mean that sincere. Because now, just recently one called me and said, can you come to us in April 2012? I said, I'm sorry, I'm already committed for 2012. I'm working on September, October 2012 at the moment. Because my schedule full up a year in advance now already. Because of the momentum with which I move in the nations. In fact, I'm already booked for October 2012 to be in Chile next year. So, the local guys, if they invite me now, I'm talking about these guys who are in the network. I say, I'm sorry. I don't have time to invest in you. I gave you seven years of my life, and you weren't able to receive from me. You know? And I'm, I'm saying, when Brother John come, I'll let you know he's here. And you can receive from him. But there are others receiving from me, and I can't invest my time in you now. And they think that I'm 
unhappy or un... I said, I'm not angry with you because I meet with them socially. I go to their homes. I take them to dinner, everything else. But we do not minister together because I've made that decision. You know. Sometimes I go and visit their meetings on a Sunday and they bring... One of the sound people will bring a mic to me to say, um, can we mic you up on this type of microphones? I said, what for? I said, you're ministering here today. I said, I'm not aware of that. Nobody asked me to minister. But they, they told me, I'm just a sound person, don't fight with me. They told me to mic you up. I said, go tell your apostle to come see me. Because you know? when I just go and visit the churches they want me to minister, I said, I didn't come to minister. I just came to see what you're doing. You know? But they wouldn't allow me to listen to them speak. So they want me to speak. Because I will evaluate their message. Anyway, as long as we continue to view someone as Joseph's boy, you will not be able to receive an impartation from that one's ministry. As long as they look at me as John Boney's boy, they can't receive the anointing of God that is upon my life. Oh, yes. And you know how many of them that are called as apostles to the nations are now just apostles in their own backyards? They have a title but not a function. They've missed the Lord on the day of His visitation. And I tell them straight to their faces, you should lose these titles because they mean nothing. You're not willing to go into the nations and do what God has called you to do. In fact, I don't call them apostles. I call them pastors. And they get very angry with me. But I do that on purpose. Many times, those who covet positions of authority do not understand the sovereignty of God. Go to John 3.17. I love this verse of Scripture. I want to read it to you. It's only recently that the Lord pointed this out to me. 3.17. I think it's 3.17. Hmm? Let me see. No, it's not. No, it is John chapter 3. The verse I'm looking for is that a man, you know, John's disciples came to him to complain about Jesus preaching. And that these disciples was beginning to follow Jesus. And then, oh, hang on, it's 27. John 3, 27, not 17. They told him about the fact that people are now following Jesus. And, of course, they were hoping to look out for John and say, you're losing your congregation to Jesus. They're resigning membership with you and they're joining his church. What are you going to do about it? You would want to hear John's defense? A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. There's not a single ministry that we can have that heaven didn't give us. Everything that you take that heaven didn't give is presumption. And presumption always leads 
to the place of exaltation, self-exaltation. And from there, you know the story, pride leads to destruction. They might not know what the Lord has called them for certain positions, yet they are not as certain that He is in control of the timing of uh, them. They're assuming them. Isn't it true? The calling and the commissioning. There's a big difference between the time of the calling and the time of the commissioning. In the case of Moses, 40 years. I hope not in our case. You know, but from the time the Lord expressing a desire, be that through personal prompting of the Holy Spirit or through a word of prophecy, or whatever, to the time of actually um, being commissioned or ordained to walk in that grace is a period of time. Between calling and commissioning, there is preparation, the building of capacity and of character. Others are in wanting to remove from office those whose time has not yet come to be removed. Don't touch a person... Um, because they are beginning to fail the Lord. Pray, ask the Lord for their restoration, and say, Lord, let your will be done. Continue to honor and respect. Don't allow the external things. Remember, you too are a recipient of grace. Was it not for the grace of God, you wouldn't be a part of the church. People that live in glass houses must not throw stones. Okay, it's not good. You may break your own house. All right, so respect the fact that the person has a, is a recipient of the grace of God, and God at any time can forgive them and restore them. Saul was in office for several years after his heart has departed from the Lord. Are you aware of that? That's several years, I think, is about 20 years that he remained in office as a king after he departed from the Lord. I somehow think 17, but it's a significant period of time. Many times in the book of Kings and Chronicles do we read of evil kings, yet God has appointed these kings and it was not for man to decide when to remove them from office. Let the Lord do it. Modern day examples are not hard to find. Many well-known pastors and preachers have been removed from their positions. Is it true? We've come through seasons where church councils and elders have thrown pastors out on the sidewalk as if they are redundant. You in Cape Town I know of at least. Maybe half a dozen. Men that have served the church, build it up, Furnished it out, put up buildings and things. Now, in their 50s, they're walking the streets of Cape Town. You know? Don't even have a ministry today. Because the leaders decided their time was up. I don't want to be one of those leaders. Oh, Lord, I tell you. I don't want to be a person who touched the anointed of the Lord and have to live with that. I can't imagine what my house will be like. You know, the vengeance of the Lord will eventually turn against me. Sometimes we limit God. We do not acknowledge that He's in control. 
that he's on the throne. God knows about the person. He knows about their sin. He knows about their cry to walk before him and his desire, the person's desire to serve God. He knows about them falling and repenting and standing up and serving and doing okay for a while and they're falling down again. God is aware of their battle. He knows about it. He's watching over the person's soul. Amen? Could it be that we think what we think needs to come down could still be in God's choice in a situation? In other words, we think the person must come off their leadership and God think, I can still work with this person. I can still redeem them. They're mine. Amen. Perhaps he desires that the person must remain. That's his church. David sinned while he was king of Israel. Was he removed as kingship? No, the Lord dealt with him while he was in office. Can you see that? Because David repented. David cried out. David was desirous of restoration. God didn't have to take him off the throne to fix him. He fixed him while he sat on the throne. He was not excluded from reigning. God simply judged him while he was king. Thus giving the people a pattern and an example of repentance and restoration. Amen? David is a very powerful example of a leader failing in office and being restored in office. I have a problem at large with many churches because we preach a gospel that we're not willing to practice. We preach the power of repentance. We preach the power of restoration. But when it comes to leaders, we apply a different set of rules. Are you willing to follow a leader that have failed, repented, and was restored by God? You have to make that decision of your heart because you may be confronted with that problem in the future. Can you follow a David? A man who becomes a limping lord like Jacob, wrestled with an angel, come out of that situation with a limp, and the rest of his life he walks with a physical defect, but he's walking under the anointing of God. You have to settle this in your heart. Because somewhere in the future, you may have to draw upon this grace. What do you do when you find out your leader has feet of clay? That is less perfect than what you thought. Can you still receive leadership? The same person who raised you up, prophesied over you, ordained you in ministry, established you in what you were doing. Now, a number of years later, you found out that they have an imperfection. Can you still follow them? If someone is selected and elected by God to fill a certain position... And if he has placed him there, we can be assured that God is big enough to remove him if he so desires. 
He's God. Let him be God. Amen. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a little confused here. I think that this is your pattern. I don't see this in Brother Joe. But Lord, it's also your order for me to follow my leaders and submit to the authority in Christ. I have a conundrum. I want to submit to you and I want to submit to them. Can you help me? You know, and God will help us out of the purity and honesty of our hearts to do what is right. Amen. If you, you practice that, you'll that we are in reality resisting God himself. Isn't that what it says? Every soul must be subject to authority and that every authority has been obtained from God. How is this so? A human government can be used by God to execute his plans. Isn't it true? As we noted previously in Romans 13, it tells us there is no power but of God the powers that are, are ordained by God. Okay? I'm going to say something and maybe in 20 something years from now, you can tell me if I was right or wrong. The ANC will be in power for about another 23 years. That's 40 years in total. It's one generation. By that time, the people that are alive will either keep them in or throw them out. The National Party was in power for about 40 years. Okay, understand this. 40 years is a generation. And in 40 years, the people will either revolt. Look at all these men in North Africa. Gaddafi. 40 years, all of them. It's a generation. It's come to maturity. The people have made the decision they will no longer be ruled over in that manner. Okay? So understand this. It's a matter of time. We do what is right and what is righteous before God. And let time play itself out. All right? And when that happens, it's normally a clean cut in how things work. We will discuss later what our response should be when we are under authority and an authority that makes ungodly demands upon us because there will be times when I will have to say to my spiritual covering, I love you and I respect who you are in God, but I cannot do what you've just asked me to do because it violates my conscience and it violates my revelation of the counsel of God. This does not mean I don't hold you on high esteem, but this one thing I cannot do. All right. We need to know that God still requires submission. Okay? Even though I can't do what I'm doing. Submission is absolute. Obedience is relative. What does that mean? It means that I submit myself absolutely to the person that has authority over me, but I obey them to the extent that my conscience permits me. My heart is in submission to the person's leadership. 
But if I'm asked to do something that violates my conscience or my good conduct, I have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And if the person is a leader, they would say to me, I respect your decision in that. Because no person should expect absolute obedience. I don't know how you lead your household. In my household, I love to give options. I say to my children, these are three possible ways that you can do this. Choose one. Because I'm raising leaders in my house. I don't want to say to them, go from me from here to the post office, but I want you to do this. Take this road, turn left there. Then when you get to the stop street, turn right. When you get there, go over the next stop street, then turn right, turn right, turn right, go one left, and you're at the post office. No, I say, take any route you like, just go to the post office. I'm not in, in, engrossed in the process, I'm engrossed in the result. I want you to choose how you do it, but I want you to understand what the end result is that we are after. Submission is an attitude of heart, while obedience is an outward action. Okay? So, it's important that we understand how we relate to spiritual authority. If an authority tells me to do something that violates my conscience, I can be submissive, yet not obedient. If my spiritual covering asks me to take his wife out to dinner and then sleep with her in the evening, I can say, I love you, brother. I can take your wife to dinner, but that's just where it have to end. I can't do the rest. Because the scriptures doesn't allow me, nor does my conscience allow me. But I don't love you any less for asking. Amen. <laughs> Some people will leave church for that. I won't. My hard attitude toward the person might be submissive even though I cannot perform the outward action of obedience. I still submit, but I can't do that. I can still respect that person, I can still heed them and learn from them, but in this one circumstance, I cannot obey. So I say that, I'm sorry. This one thing I can't do, I'm sorry. So let us examine more deeply this principle that is not a person who is sacred, but rather it's the office in which he stands. And we saw this previously in the example of the King Saul of Israel. Amen? Romans 13, 3 and 4. It's um, an illustration that might be helpful, which we'll get to in a moment. But let me just read this passage again in Romans 13, verses 3 and 4, just to help us remember. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. For it's a minister of God, an avenger 
who brings wrath upon the one who practice evil. In other words, understand that the government is there. Their main task of the government is to maintain an environment of peace. Create an environment in which the citizens can prosper, can be productive, can be entrepreneurial, can function, can preach the gospel. Isn't that what Paul says? Pray for the government so that you may have freedom to preach the gospel and do what is necessary. I do not look to the government for any handouts. Okay. I want the government to make sure they don't get involved in war with Namibia or with another country where they shoot our country up into pieces and now we can't do what we're supposed to do. I want them to keep a good posture of peace with the nations of the earth. And I think they're doing a fine job in that. We're not fighting with anybody. We've been not fighting with nobody for the last 50 years, I think, or so. We're keeping our nose clean and we don't fight with anybody. All right? Not sure if we're afraid to fight anyway. <laughs> That's just a joke. But as citizens of the country, we have an environment in which we can grow and we can be entrepreneurial and uh, we can raise good families. Is that right? So in terms of those things, this is not a bad country. We have problems with violence and theft and burglaries and all those things, but show me where we don't have a problem like that. It's all over. It's just here, I think it's a little more accentuated. Here's an illustration I want to show you. If you're at work and the boss walks in and you and then become nervous and suddenly work harder, there's evil in your heart. Okay, because why would you have to suddenly work harder? Which means you were underperforming when the boss wasn't there. Make me think of this joke. This um, person drive over a red light and the traffic officer stopped him. He says, didn't you see the light? He says, I saw the light, but I didn't see you. You know, don't just begin, that's lip service. The Bible is clear. We don't do our work simply because people are watching us. We're doing it as unto the Lord. Because the Lord is watching continuously. Amen? If you're out somewhere and it makes you anxious to see your pastor coming your way, there's evil in your heart. Because you on the side, and here the pastor's approaching, and you know, oh God, I have to cross over to the other side. I don't want to talk with him. You know, or you're going down this one island, pick and pay, and you see, oh, I have to go this way. I don't want to talk to him. It means there's some issue in your heart, isn't it? But if you're in the same, regardless of who's around you, if you work at the same pace, whether your supervisor is present or not, or which... Uh, you are, uh, which, that which you are doing is good and the rulers uh, are for a terror. So you don't have to worry. You just work whether the boss walks in or doesn't walk in. Sitting in your office listening to your conversations doesn't make no difference to you. You're just doing your job. Then you're doing it out of a good heart. Isn't it true? If you can preach the same sermon whether the pastor is present or absent, that's a good thing. You know, because your integrity is intact. If you can speak about the pastor, the same thing, whether he's present or absent, 
you know, that's a good thing. Years ago, maybe 27, 28 years ago, I told you, may have told you this before, a man came to my home to bring an accusation against one of my elders. And uh, I said, would you like to have a cup of tea? He says, yes. I said, okay. So I went into my office. I called the elder at work. I said, put in half a day's leave. Come to my home now. He worked in the hospital system. And so he quickly put in half a day's leave. And he came to my home. And then kitchen. And I began to put on the water, which I had boiled forever. Because I needed the time. <laughs> and uh, eventually we sat down to have the tea. And as we were sipping our tea, in walks the elder. So I turned to the brother. I said, repeat yourself. The man is here. He said, well, I didn't mean it that way. I said, you're lying devil. Of course you meant it that way. I said, do you see these ears? They are not garbage bins. Don't ever speak to me in this way again about my leaders. You see that door? That's how you leave my house. He never came back to me in 27 years to talk about other people. I cured him. My elder looked at me and he realized that my intentions in my heart to him is good. I will not receive an accusation against him. You know, in, from someone coming from without, never. The Bible is clear. Do not receive an accusation against an elder lightly. You know? You got to do what it's, you have to do. Rulers are tools of the Lord to reveal to us the evil that is in our hearts. Isn't it true? If you go into pick and pay and you take a bag of switch and put it in your pocket and the next time you look up you see a police officer. <laughs> Dear God, you wonder, where did he come from? <laughs> you know? Suddenly that, that bag of switch in your pocket feels like a bag of potatoes. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I know we don't do things like that. But uh, The word says that the rulers are ministers of God for us, for good or for evil. Amen? And the Greek word is actually the word you'll be surprised the word diakonos. Civil servants are the deacons of God. Just like the church have deacons, civil society have deacons. That politician that serves in your community that you hate so passionately is God's deacon. Rulers are the servants of God in our lives, sent by Him to minister to us, and we need to receive them as such and to respect the authority they represent. God does not make leaders. He makes servants who become leaders. Amen? Can you receive that statement? You don't wake up in the morning a leader. You start serving first. In the world, the leaders are on the top of the pyramid. Is that right? There are many at the bottom of the pyramid who labor 
for those on the top and the ones at the top command respect and obedience and honor and others serve them. This is in the, in the world system. However, in the church, things are not like that. The Lord takes the pyramid, that organizational structure that man has built, and he says, what an interesting picture of greed and hatred. And what does he do? He turns it upside down. He says, it's better that way. In my kingdom, the servants are in the foundation. The leaders, they hold up the people. They support the people. They minister to the people. Amen? So in the church, the leaders are the foundation. They're the bottom of the pyramid. Rather than being served, they serve. Even Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Amen? It's not wrong for us as leaders to receive people serving us. Do you agree? But when you demand to be served, then there's a little problem. Can I tell you where the problem is? It's a psychological problem. You do not have security with who you are as a person. Nor are you secure in Christ. And now you need people to serve you to make you feel good about yourself. Because you don't even like yourself. But if you love yourself and you are strong in your identity in Christ, whether someone serves you or don't serve you, it's not a problem. If someone wishes to serve you, respond to them positively and you honor them for that. And you're going to go in some environments where people are not going to serve you. And then you have a problem with everybody because you're going to come out fighting, demanding to be served. You know? Rather than accruing honor, they honor and bless others. A good leader, take what is on the ground and work with it. The church is built upon the foundation of godly servanthood. Amen. To me, my... The highest epitome of ministry is the Lord Jesus Christ. His servanthood, his accessibility, his friendliness, his ability to teach out of basic elementary things, his fundamental um, submission to the Father, all of those things are so important in how we relate to life and ministry. So the question is, do you aspire to leadership? Do you want your ministry to be recognized? Do you want your name in golden letters in the sky? Do you want a red carpet rolled out? Do you want trumpets to sound? Announcing your arrival with your big stretch limousine bringing you from the airport or the hotel to the meeting room. Now, don't misunderstand me. If church do that as usual as for all of their guest speakers I will comply because what do I tell them can you take the limo away and bring a mini they may not have a mini you know I'm just making an example but if you send a letter to the church leadership 
I bath in Perrier water. I eat oysters for breakfast that's imported from Singapore. Fresh water oysters must be flown in daily. I want my coffee at this time, and I want Blue Mountain coffee that comes from Jamaica. Can you make sure you fly that in? I'm giving you some ridiculous things because in ministry, these things happen. When I see them, I shred the letter and make the person uninvited. Because you do not trust the goodness of my heart to extend hospitality in a kingdom way towards you. Now, for medical reasons, there are some things that people may need. For example, a person with a poor back may need a hard bed to sleep on. That's a fair request. Do you agree with me? That's a reasonable request. You can't put them on a sponge mattress. You're going to put their back out of joint and they're not going to be good in ministry anyway. All right? How about certain water? This is the one requirement I have wherever I travel in the world. I want reverse osmosis water. That's all I ask. The rest you can fail. Just give me good water. That's all I'm asking for. Go to the store, look for reverse osmosis water. Tell me what the brand is. Tell me the TDS on the side. I'll tell you if it's good enough or not. Yes, we have um, the brand here, Bon Aqua. It's a Coca-Cola product. Okay. So you can have reasonable requests. In fact, in some parts of the world, if you have no request, you are considered to be a misfit. People expect you to have some demands as an international speaker. That's the church world that we operate in. So you give them a little something to work with. For example, you can tell them, I don't stay in a hotel of the, if it's less than $1,000 a night. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs> so you want your ministry to be recognized? Then you're not willing to be a leader. A leader is walked upon, is part of the foundation. Let that one sink in for a moment. Nobody compliments the foundation of a building. No one even sees it. But it holds the house up. Although it's crucial, it's not even acknowledged by those who view the building. Isn't it true? Um, as the ministry goes up, people forget how it was birthed. They forget the price that was paid, the sacrifices that was made. Especially the Johnny-come-latelys. You know the Johnny-come-latelys, the people that joined the ministry 15 years after it's there. You know, 20 years into the making and now. They don't know how it was birthed. If God has chosen you to become a leader, you must, be, you must determine to serve. That's the foundation of the whole thing. You serve Him, 
You serve his people, you serve his purpose. If a kernel of wheat does not fall into the ground and die, it cannot live. That's the principle for ministry and for leadership. You must be willing to fall into the ground and you must be willing to die to self. Only then can you produce life. As long as you're just a kernel of wheat, that's all. A single individual entity. It doesn't produce any life in the kingdom. But when you die to self, you fall into the ground. You die to your agenda. You die to expectations. You die to all the things that are important trappings to ministry. And you say, Lord, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Then it's a different story. So Diakonos is a servant, but let me look more deeply into that. Paul often began his letters by describing himself as a slave to the Lord. We go beyond servanthood now to the status of a slave. We're still talking about leadership, by the way. The Greek word is dolos, meaning a slave or a bond servant. All right, you understand this already because you preachers. It's used of both voluntarily and involuntarily servants and carries a sense of subjection or serviency to another. All right, you know the story where a person is willing to become a bond slave. Their time of serving the master is up be that 20 years or 30 years, and they can now go pack their bags and leave the master's house. But instead, they go to the doorpost, and they ask the master to take a sharp object and bore a hole in their ear. You take a sharp object, push them up against the doorpost, and stab their ear, and a part of the ear will be lodged into the doorpost which means I choose to serve you for life. I had my freedom, but I choose not to take my freedom, but rather to serve you. Now, at some point in your life of serving the spiritual authority over your life, you will have to choose to become a dolos, which means in my humanity, I have the freedom to leave. In fact, I have enough reason over the last 15 years of your abuse and insult to leave. But I've come to you today to tell you I choose not to leave. I want to serve this ministry until the Lord instructs me otherwise. Will you allow me to do that? That's a very powerful day in the journey of a development of a leader. When you can speak to your spiritual authority and say, I have all of these reasons why I shouldn't be here. But I've not allowed it to influence me. I want to be here. Can you create room for me to be here for the next 20 years? My bags are not packed. I'm not going anywhere. Thank you. 
Amen? Can I tell you, there's a tremendous shortage of covenant love in the church. The Jonathan David kind of thing. Where a brother or a sister will lay down their life for another. Until we see that return to the house of God, we will not really influence the world. We have become like the world. Competitive, aggressive, non-compliant. We speak evil. We do all kinds of things. And we still believe we do this for God and His kingdom. Slaves haven't got any rights. They are just used. That's a terrible thing to think of, isn't it? But now let me take you back in your memory to the roots of character. We spoke about Christ and His meekness. We spoke about the fact that He gave up His rights. And in giving up those rights, He did so for the benefit of the people. You know, For example, as a leader, at some point you'll have to give up your right for sleep. Praying for your people. You have to give up your right to food, fasting for your people. You have to give up the right to spend time with your spouse engaging in the affairs of the kingdom. There are rights that you have to give up in order to serve the kingdom. And so you have to learn the cause, the purpose, the agenda is bigger than just my rights. I don't defend, I don't have a mentality of being entitled to having certain things. I hold light onto them. I can give them up when I need to. When we begin to see that we are here to serve one another, and that we don't have any rights, we will cease transgressing against one another. You know, we will begin to honor one another. As we look at these two Greek words, we notice that diakonos describes a servant in relation to his work. In other words, the type of servant uh, does very well at his job or service. In other words, you're talking about faithfulness. This is a, a, a diakonos, someone that serves in natural things, and they will do very well. Have you noticed if somebody comes to work for you, I don't know if you have this problem, but my wife has somebody that comes to work at our home like every now and then. They do very well when you watch them. When you leave them unmanaged, you try to find what in the world have they done. I can't see anything they've done for the day. Eh? Yeah, in Cape Town, it's difficult to find people that are good. Oh, we had one person at work for us in Pretoria for about 10 years. The other day, my daughter said, Var is Letty. <laughs> for us in Pretoria, came to us when we lived there for about a month or so, and she stayed with us until the day we moved back to Cape Town. Letty would not allow my own mother and father-in-law in my house if I was not there. She'd make them stand at the gate. She said, he didn't tell me you were coming. Hold on, wait here. 
to go inside to call me. She says, your parents are here. What do I do with them? I said, let, let them in. She says, okay. Her own husband has to stand outside. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't tell them you were coming. Wait until they are here. So he had some attitude of governmental perception. We would go on holiday for an entire month and leave the house in our hands and didn't think of phoning home to check on it. That's rare. Do you agree? We tried and begged her to move to Cape Town with us. He said, this is the end of the earth of your life. Our honor. We're going to fall in the sea. But you know, servants can do well in faithfulness. However, it's the dolos that can be loyal. It's not just about doing what's asked of you, doing eye and lip service. It's about those things we can do when nobody's looking, when nobody is asking of me. I've always told people when I raise them up in leadership, if you can come into this place of worship, climbing over 24 pieces of paper without picking it up, it tells me you've not taken ownership. This is not yet your ministry. You are yet a slave. You have not yet become a son in the house. When you take ownership, if you see the chairs are out of line, you straighten them without everybody asking you to do it. If you see a piece of equipment left on after the meeting, you switch it off because you understand it's burning up. You're wasting electricity. You're taking ownership of the ministry. It's very different, isn't it? Than a hireling. You've got to tell a hireling everything. This speaks of the fact that there are some people who can do their jobs well, but they cannot serve their masters well. When you talk about just being faithful as a diaconos. I can only do what you tell me. Some people at work, have you got this frustration, Pastor Sean, when people work for you and you tell them, pick up this in that place and deliver it there and then come back to give, me, give you the next instruction. But in that point, you get occupied to do something and you come back and you find them sitting where you left them in the morning because you didn't follow through on your instruction. And then they tell you, but I was waiting on you. Why not do the part that you understand? And then come back. Isn't it true? Man, I think my mindset, my mindset is I must be present, and for my presence I get a check. I always told them, we don't pay you to attend work. We pay you to do work. Yeah. In the Old Testament, it was customary to bore a hole through the ear of a bondservant, and I explained that already. This was one who was given an opportunity to leave the master, but who decided to stay and serve him. And the archonists will serve, but when it's time to bore a hole in his ear... He will refuse. I'm sorry. I didn't sign up for that. He does not love his leaders enough to become their bondservants. 
when this time for serving has ended, he's gone. You know, people are like that. You still look for them after a meeting. You know, they paid staff members. You're looking for them after the meeting because there's something else you wanted done. In the car, gone, even before the people. You know, where's so-and-so? <laughs> no, they're gone. You must understand the meeting is over. It's time to go. Things to do, places to go, people to see. You know, that frustrates, isn't it? I have a system that I normally have in place that all the staff has to report for a meeting after the meeting. I just do a quick assessment of what's happening. It creates an opportunity for me to give some additional instructions of what I want done. You know, so nobody can run home during the sermon, during the prayer line, during the offering or anything else happening. They can't run down because there's a meeting after the meeting. I've got this all worked out. And on the sound booth, I have somebody. On the sound booth, I had somebody with an attendance register marking the time when the leaders arrive. They just sit there, greet everybody. Ah, oh. <laughs> okay. They just write them down, everybody. So at the end of the day, I get my attendance register, and I can see this leader was late, that one was so late, this one was, didn't show up. I have it all there. It's in front of me. Yeah, because I use it in my consultation with him. So I would like to talk to you about the time you arrived at the meeting. Oh, last week, I'm sorry that I was... I said, no, not last week, the last three months. You're watching me for three months? I said, yes. Would you like to see the records? Here it is. Then normally they have a defense. So you're carrying this in your heart all this time? I said, no, no, in my head. <laughs> Hasn't reached my heart yet. You see, I have this... This military background, I know how to manage staff. I know how to keep them accountable. I know how to put systems in place. That they, there's nothing they can do to avoid it. You know. And uh, people don't like church like that. They don't want to be held accountable. So we are called to be bond servants of God. And he will bore a hole through our ears in the house of God concerning his purposes. And we declare that we love the Lord and that is which he's called us to do. Amen. We'll be his servants forever, marked by our serving and identified by our master. Bless the Lord. Amen. So we have to become leaders with a hole in the ear.